welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Melina, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Mouth Pain and Discomfort, All You Need to Know About Mouth Sores and Oral Mucositis. Now, this is a really a, a big issue in, when you're undergoing cancer treatments, and we're going to be, we have wonderful speakers to address this topic today. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and 20 other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you. We have on the call today over 882 participants on this call. So you're a very large group of people on this call. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions and states in the United States. And we also have international participants from Africa, Bahrain, Canada, India, Korea, Nigeria, Turkey, Venezuela, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world and truly are a group of information seekers. I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is an outline that our speakers have prepared of the topics they're going to cover. And there also is information about all the different collaborating organizations as additional resources for you. There is also an evaluation form. I'm going to ask each of you to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the programs that you would like us to offer going forward? So we take very seriously your recommendations. And indeed, our topic today is one that many of you have asked us to do over and over again. And so we do very much try to implement the programs that you suggest. Um, you're our best, really, uh, source of um, recommendations, I have to say, absolutely. Um, and I would also like to acknowledge that um, today's program was made possible through a grant from Allos Therapeutics, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support of our program today. And we have wonderful speakers, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Charles Laprinzi. Dr. Laprinzi is Regis Professor of Breast Cancer Research, Mayo Clinic. And he is going to provide an overview of cancer treatments, what causes mouth sores, mouth pain, and oral mucositis during cancer treatments, He's also going to address current standard of care and new treatment options, including pain management and reducing the risk of infection. And he's also going to address the communicating with your healthcare team about mucositis. I'm now going to turn this program over to Dr. LaPrinzi. Thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be able to speak again at one of these conferences. Uh, so one of the topic that we're talking about here, part of it anyway, is called oral mucositis. And some people might say, what the heck is mucositis? And mucos stands for mucosa, which is the covering of the, of the inside part of the mouth. And itis just means inflammation. People have heard of appendicitis, which is a inflammation of the appendix, or tonsillitis, which is inflammation of the tonsils. So it's an inflammatory process uh, that causes sores in the mouth, which can be quite painful. There are a number of uh, uh, different chemotherapy drugs that can cause this problem. Uh, having said that, there are a number of chemotherapy drugs that are given and never cause this problem. The drugs that most commonly cause this problem, a class of agent called fluoropyrimidines or 5-fluorouracil, 5-FU, uh, which is a relatively common drug. Antimetabolites is another classification of drugs, such as methotrexate. And then when we give high doses of chemotherapy uh, in patients who are going to have a bone marrow transplant, the high doses of, 
other chemotherapy drugs also can cause this inflammation of the mouth and cause sores and problems. It's a big problem in terms of pain. It's also when you have sores there, it can set up uh, infections that can cause the problem, uh, cause a bigger problem for the patient as those infections can get into the bloodstream and be uh, quite problematic. So I'm going to talk about a couple of things. Dr. Peterson is going to talk a bit more to cover this topic about things that can be done about this. Uh, one is a story about something we call oral cryotherapy, and oral is just the mouth, and cryotherapy, cryo is cold. And this goes back to uh, a, something that the nurses at our shop came up with a long time ago, dealing with 5-fluorouracil or 5-FU, and when we give that drug intravenously uh, by vein, it has a what we call a relatively short half-life, and that means the half-life is how long it takes until only half as much of, a, of the drug is in the bloodstream. So the half-life is about 10 minutes for this particular drug. So you have a lot to start off with. 10 minutes later, you only have half of that amount, and then 10 minutes after that, you have a quarter of that amount. So the thought process was that if you put something in the mouth that was cold, like snow cone-type ice chips, that that would cause the mouth to get cold. That would cause what we call vasoconstriction or a, a, a closing off of the blood vessels because uh, that happens so it conserves heat for the different parts of the body. Uh, and then, therefore, if the blood vessels were, were smaller, then less of the 5-FU would get to the mouth, whereas it would get to the other parts of the body where the cancer was. And therefore, there might be less mucositis. Well, the, story, the study was done to look to see if that was true, and half of the patients, uh, when they got their chemotherapy for each dose of chemotherapy, put the ice chips in their mouth, starting about five minutes before they started the chemotherapy and lasting for a total of 30 minutes. And the other people did not have ice chips in their mouth. And when we followed them along, there was about half as much of the mucositis problems, the pain problems, uh, in the patients who got the uh, oral cryotherapy, the ice chips there. This study has been uh, subsequently repeated about six different times, and each time the groups found similar sorts of benefit. And it's also been looked at a little bit with other types of uh, chemotherapy drugs. The other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is, is another thing that people have been looking at, and this is, again, something which is an active, ongoing research. Part of this is to illustrate the ways that we figure out what might or might not work and that we are evaluating this phenomenon. And this particular study deals with patients who are getting radiation therapy to the head and neck area, uh, to the mouth, and they oftentimes get mouth sores. And once they get established mouth sores, what can we use to, to treat that, to help feel, make that feel better? And Dr. Peterson, I'm sure, will talk to you about some of the aspects that are standard. And what we're looking at is a drug called doxepin. It's an antidepressant medication that we used to use in the olden days. There's a liquid formulation of it, mainly set up for kids uh, who might have needed this medication. And there's information from a couple of pilot studies done by Dr. Joel Epstein, who's a, a, a dental expert, who had noted that it caused numbing of the mouth and helped decrease the pain in uh, patients who had these particular mouth sores. Uh, at some places, this has become standard therapy, but is not well recognized because it hasn't been studied in a placebo-controlled manner. So what we are doing is we have a study ongoing at this time, taking patients who are getting receiving radiation therapy, who do have mouth pain of at least 4 out of 10 uh, severity, so 0 is no pain and 10 is be as bad as it can be like some women have with childbirth, and they're randomized to get this doxepin versus a placebo 
on one day. We follow them for four hours, have them fill out questionnaires in terms of how the mouth pain is going. And on the next day, if they're having pain again, then they get the opposite uh, compound. Neither the patient nor the doctors uh, know which one is which. Only the pharmacist knows, and he doesn't tell anybody, and the statisticians eventually will know. And then we see whether or not that will decrease the sores. Hopefully that will be helpful. We're hoping this could be something like lidocaine or novocaine that some people use uh, for numbing up areas. So I'm going to stop right at that point and turn things over to Carolyn uh, to go on to Dr. Peterson. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Lopinzi, for just a very comprehensive overview and really helping everyone to understand why this happens and what to do about it. And now we're going to have Dr. Douglas Peterson tell you more things about what you can do about it. Dr. Douglas Peterson is professor of oral medicine. He's a dentist in a cancer center. He's chair program in head and neck cancer and oral oncology, NIAG Comprehensive Cancer Center. University of Connecticut Health Center, and he is going to address caring for mouth sores, teeth, gums, and mouth before, during, and after cancer treatments. He's going to talk about managing pain and discomfort and quality of life concerns. I'm now going to turn the program over to Dr. Peterson. Thank you very much, Carolyn. It's my privilege to contribute to today's discussion. And first, I'd, I'd like to highlight some overall concepts for my remarks, building upon Dr. Leprinzi's excellent presentation. As we've heard from Dr. Leprinzi today, mouth sores, or as they're technically known, oral mucositis, can be an important side effect of very effective cancer therapies, including head and neck radiation, high-dose chemotherapy, as well as some of the new molecularly targeted cancer therapies that are beginning to be used clinically. And along these lines, there are excellent resources, such as those managed by Cancer Care, for patients and families and the cancer team regarding management of the mouth before, during, and after cancer treatment. Oral mucositis is one of the side effects that is discussed in these resources, and I'd really commend them to you. And, and I think you'll find that today's teleconference very much illustrates the opportunities and goals that a team approach, you know, working with a patient and the family and caregivers and the, the whole cancer care team can bring to some very positive, very exciting outcomes. And just one other overall concept is definitions. Dr. Leprinzi started his remarks with carefully defining what oral mucositis is, inflammation of the, the lining tissues of the mouth. We can also think in terms of dental, in other words, the teeth themselves. We can think in terms of gums, and we can think in terms of salivary glands. And by working together with the dental team, the cancer team, and, and the patient, we can work to very much prevent many mouth problems, whether it's of the lining tissues of the mouth, of the teeth, of the gums, or even the salivary glands. I'd like to now turn to the specific topic of how do we take care of mouth sores in the cancer patient, and what's the relationship of this preventive approach, ideally, of oral mucositis in relation to managing the teeth and the gums. It's really important to recognize that the planning for this approach of managing mouth sores begins before the cancer treatment begins, sometimes several weeks before the cancer treatment begins, and needs to continue throughout the cancer treatment experience. And once again, the communication among the patient, the oncologist, the oncology nurses, the uh, dietitian, the pain group, and so forth is very, very important throughout this experience. Dr. Leprinzi has already mentioned that not all cancer treatments cause 
oral mucositis or the mouth sores, only some cancer treatments do. So I would really recommend that you discuss any questions you have along these lines. Am I going to get mucositis? How serious will it be? What can I do to prevent it or manage it? You know, have these discussions with your oncology team. They're quite skilled at answering questions on possible side effects of your cancer treatment, including the potential for oral mucositis. I think it's also important to note that the effects of cancer treatment, for example, head and neck radiation for mouth cancer, the clinical effects, the mouth sores begin to appear about five to six days after the cancer treatment starts. So it's not that the day one starts chemotherapy or one of these new targeted cancer therapies or head and neck radiation, that that day the mouth becomes sore. It typically takes a good five, six days for the soreness to begin. And by about the 10th day is when there's actual sores in the mouth, again, depending on the type of cancer treatment. It's also important to realize that when the cancer treatment ends, it then takes the mucosa, the lining tissue of the mouth, another two to four weeks to actually heal. So the timing in relation to cancer treatment is important to discuss. And so given the complexity of some of these issues, it's really important to have this comprehensive management by your healthcare team. That should include a dental checkup and, as needed, selected dental treatment before the radiation begins or the chemotherapy begins. Let's turn now to what might be some of the best approaches for managing pain and discomfort in the mouth in relation to mouth sores and how these therapeutic approaches can really help with how the patient feels during and after the cancer treatment, the, the overall quality of life experience. For starters, let's start with some simple approaches. We've already talked about the importance of having an, a careful oral examination before the head and neck radiation or the high-dose chemotherapy or the molecularly targeted cancer therapy begins. It's not that all dental treatment needs to be done at that time, but some dental treatment may be uh, needed. For example, we'd want to make sure that there are no injured teeth, fractured teeth, teeth with large cavities, for example, that could injure the mucosa. So the mucosa might be damaged by the chemotherapy for a few weeks. If there's a tooth that's irritating the mucosa, that could make the mucositis more sore. Or if a patient wears partial dentures, it's important to know that the dentures need to fit well. And in fact, there might be times when the dentures shouldn't be worn at all when the mouth sores are present. So you and your, your dental team can work with the rest of the cancer team to best advise on which mouth problem should be treated before the cancer treatment begins in, in order to reduce any injury to the mouth. Now, in addition to this preventive approach from the dental side, there are a number of products to help the patient before and during the, the sore mouth experience. For example, as with any wound to tissue, for example, an ulcer, it's, it can be very important to keep that wound clean and moist. So simple saline rinses or water and salt solutions that your cancer team can help you prepare and use just to keep the mouth tissues moist and clean. This can go a long way, not so much in preventing the mucositis, but in reducing risks for other problems, including infection. Another approach that's used, Dr. Leprinzi has already mentioned, cryotherapy or the ice chips, for example, in cancer patients receiving 
five fluorouracil based regimens or some selected other types of chemotherapy. This is a very simple and yet potentially very effective approach in reducing the discomfort from the mouth sores. Now, if the mouth sores reach a point where they're uncomfortable to the patient, there are some very fine pain medications that can be given either as a topical agent applied directly to the sore in the mouth or given as a pill or, or by injection. These, these pain medications can be very mild in strength. For example, a topical numbing medicine applied directly to the mouth sore or, or something more strong if the discomfort is more pronounced. So again, your cancer team can work with you, see how the mouth sores feel, see what level of pain you're experiencing. There's a very broad regimen, repertoire of drugs that are available, ranging from very mild to very powerful. And then in addition, to controlling the pain and making the patient comfortable while the mouth sores are progressing and then healing. It's also important to make sure that there's no infection. So your healthcare team will be very carefully checking for infection in the mouth and elsewhere. And if there is an infection, come up with a very directed approach to treat that infection. Now, although None of these approaches, the mouth rinses, the cryotherapy, the pain management, for example, none of these approaches is designed to specifically prevent the mouth sores from developing. They really can be excellent ways to minimize the impact of, of the mouth sores and the associated discomfort during cancer treatment. I'd like to also mention a very exciting advance in the last few years. There is one drug that's approved in the United States and elsewhere in the world. It's called palifermin. It's specifically approved in the United States by the Food and Drug Administration for some patients who have blood cancers who will be undergoing stem cell transplant and receiving high-dose chemotherapy. This can be a very effective molecularly targeted drug, and as I said, it's a very exciting breakthrough in clinical care. It's not indicated for all types of mucositis, but if someone is going to undergo high-dose chemotherapy in a stem cell transplant, it certainly could be worth discussing palifermin with your cancer team. There are several other drugs in development. Dr. Laprinzi has mentioned the doxepine story in head and neck radiation patients. We look forward to the results of, of that work being done at Mayo and elsewhere. Very exciting. Hopefully these new drugs will become available over time clinically. And that really leads me to note the opportunities that a cancer patient may have to contribute to clinical research, such as the doxepine story or some of the other drug development research that's being conducted for mucositis. There's no obligation for any patient to participate in this type of clinical research. You will still receive expert care by your cancer team whether or not, whether or not you elect to participate in the clinical research. But it's also important to know that today's state of the science approach with mucositis management is really built upon research that previous cancer patients have contributed through their volunteer efforts in participating in these clinical trials. This kind of participation in clinical trials really is a gift to future cancer patients and their families as well as to medical science. And so if the opportunity arises for you to consider participation in clinical research in a cancer setting, I, I hope you will consider this very important contribution. In my last few minutes, I'd like to also briefly note that in addition to oral mucositis, sometimes if the mouth becomes dry, 
this can cause the mouth sores to be somewhat more uncomfortable. Now, this dry mouth can be caused, for example, by medicines being used to help the patient avoid other problems, such as drugs to control nausea that might otherwise arise from chemotherapy. The good news is that chemotherapy itself does not typically cause dryness of the mouth. Now, if dry mouth occurs, there are some simple treatments that can be quite effective. Sipping water or sugarless drinks often, again, keeping the mouth moist. Avoiding drinks with caffeine, such as coffee, tea, and some sodas, since caffeine can dry the mouth. Not using tobacco and alcohol, these can also dry out the mouth. And then finally, spicy or salty foods may irritate the mouth if the mouth is dry, particularly if oral mucositis is present. So avoiding spicy or salty foods during periods of dry mouth and oral mucositis can really help minimize the discomfort. So in my uh, remaining minute, I'm just going to briefly summarize that not all cancer patients develop mouth problems at all, including oral mucositis, in relation to their cancer treatments. And again, this can be discussed with the patient and the oncology team and the dental team before, during, and after the cancer treatment. If oral mucositis occurs, it can be managed quite effectively in virtually all cases by a variety of approaches. And that's true whether the mucositis is caused by head and neck radiation, high-dose chemotherapy, or some of the newer targeted cancer therapies. I really would like to remind us that there are these excellent resources, including from cancer care, available for patients and their families related to side effects of cancer therapies and other aspects of cancer care including mucositis. And this partnership of the family with the patient and the cancer team can be very powerful and can often lead to very positive outcomes of the cancer treatment for many years to come. Carolyn, I'll stop at that point and turn the program back to you. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Peterson. Just really an outstanding presentation, really a review of all the different things that really, in terms of care of one's mouth and things that one can do, and um, a lot of really excellent um, recommendations. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you very much. Our next speaker is Melinda Bivens. Melinda is a clinical dietitian, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. So we really do have the whole multidisciplinary team here, um, a medical oncologist, a dentist, a nutritionist, and we'll soon have a social worker. So we're going to have the whole team for you to, to, um, uh, to you know, give you information. And Melinda is going to address nutritional concerns and tips and eating hints. I'm now going to turn the program over to Melinda. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Well, as you can see, mucositis can really make eating a challenge. Some foods may irritate your mouth and throat with their texture. Others may not be tolerated because they burn the mouth and throat tissues. Finding the right food and beverages is critical to consuming adequate calories and protein so that you may heal. If it hurts to chew or swallow, then it's probable that the amount of food that you eat will be reduced and the amount of times you swallow may also be reduced. So try changing the texture of your foods to a soft and creaminess. The texture of food needs to be modified sometimes prior to entering your mouth. So blending may be an option. Be mindful that blending can also increase the volume of a food and require more swallows. But if the thought of blended food isn't appealing to you, try foods that are the same texture of blended foods, like applesauce, 
cottage cheese, yogurt, mashed potatoes, and avocado. Use a straw, if tolerated, to avoid those areas in the mouth that are tender and sore. Avoid using acidic foods and beverages like orange, lemon, lime, and pineapple. Also avoid spices like pepper. Eating out at restaurants may be difficult if you're not aware how the food is prepared. One fast food restaurant I'm aware of uses pepper in their mashed potatoes, and this might be irritating. Each bite or swallow needs to be packed with high calories and protein. We call this fortifying. You can fortify foods or beverages by adding protein in the form of powder milk, soy, whey protein, uh, and add these to any food or beverage that you're tolerating. For example, if you add four tablespoons of powder milk to a cup of milk instead of water, what you have done is essentially put the protein of two cups of milk into eight ounces, and that means less swallows. I call this double milk. And using this double milk in cooking foods like oatmeal, scrambled eggs, pudding, or cream soups is one way of fortifying foods that are easier to consume. And I call this smart swallowing. So choose foods that are soft and moist and prepared with extra creamy sauces or gravies. And remember that mucositis is a temporary condition. You may eat some foods that you normally would avoid when you're trying to eat a healthy diet. Foods like ice cream. Ice cream is soft, it's high in calories, it's good protein, and it can't contains fluid. A perfect food during this period of time. But don't get too spoiled with this ice cream because there will be a time when we need to limit it and eat something more healthy like yogurt. To fortify with calories, try adding some peanut butter or ice cream to shakes some non-acidic fruit to smoothies, and whole milk or cream to soups. Try adding mayonnaise to mashed up avocado. And remember, avoid using lemon or lime um, as this would burn the mouth. Milkshakes or smoothies and nutritional supplements like Ensure and Boost and Carnation Instant Breakfast can be very important in helping you meet your nutritional needs. They are grand slams because they have calories, protein, and fluid. Fluid is very important in the healing process, but water doesn't contain any calories. So try to consume fluids that contain calories like milk or juice. And you may need to dilute the juice if it's too irritating or too sweet. Avoid any juices that are acidic once again. And like we've heard already, popsicles and ice chips can provide fluid and also numb the mouth. It's all right to just consume liquids. And if it hurts too much to chew or swallow, it's all right not to eat a, a solid meal. But one or two shakes a day cannot provide enough nutrition. So you will probably need somewhere between four to six, eight-ounce shakes per day to meet your calorie and protein needs. So remember, the most important concepts to 
to think about when you're experiencing mucositis are to modify the texture of your diet for a, a texture and acidity and also to fortify your foods to make each swallow count. So now I turn you back to Carolyn. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Melinda, thank you very much. That was a really wonderful presentation, a lot of really helpful tips, and um, it, it may have stimulated people's appetite with your kind of suggestions and recommendations and an eating hint. So thank you very much, and I know there will be questions for you as well. And um, our next speaker is Glenn Muche, and Glenn is an oncology social worker. He's our pain services program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Glenn is going to address the free support services that you can access from Cancer Care, as well as the importance of a support network. Glenn? Thank you, Carolyn. And I would like to thank everyone for participating in today's Connect Education Workshop. Um, in closing, I would like to speak briefly about the services that Cancer Care offers. Uh, the array of challenges presented by mouth sores, mouth pain, and oral mucositis may feel overwhelming at times and impact our quality of life. We may find ourselves faced with many questions and decisions that have to be made insofar as our care is concerned. Uh, sometimes we may not even know where to ask for help. Help, however, is available. Uh, Cancer Care is one such organization that can provide support. Uh, Cancer Care offers free individual counseling by professional oncology social workers who can walk with you and provide a listening ear. A cancer care social worker can help you sort through the myriad of issues that may surround the management of pain and discomfort and the treatment of oral mucositis. Social workers can help you communicate with your doctor and open doors to effective pain management. They can direct you to additional resources and offer you guidance as you navigate through the sometimes complex system of health care. Uh, the cancer experience can often leave us feeling all alone. Um, I really cannot underestimate, therefore, the significance of individual counseling and support groups. Uh, individual counseling can afford you a safe space to talk about your feelings and provide you an opportunity to process what you might be experiencing. Through individual counseling, we can learn new coping strategies and develop ways to ensure our continued coping and adjustment to the cancer experience and the side effects which we may discover ourselves struggling with. Support groups, too, can lessen feelings of isolation and help us cope. Uh, they provide a safe and supportive environment where we not only can share our cancer story with others, but learn from those who may be experiencing similar feelings and concerns as well. At Cancer Care, people can gain emotional support, insight, and reassurance by participating in free telephone and online support groups. Cancer Care offers these support groups to people with cancer, their families and friends, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. Uh, to conclude, um, a cancer diagnosis can present um, a person with economic burdens as well. Uh, financial assistance is available at Cancer Care. Uh, cancer Care can help reduce the cost associated with transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and some instances for pain medications related to a person's cancer and treatment. In addition to this, a cancer care social worker can direct you to other resources in your community that may offer financial assistance. 
Thank you very much, Glenn, just for a very, uh, very comprehensive presentation about the services of cancer care and how people can access them. So thank you. And now we have time for questions. We actually have lots of time for questions, and I'm going to ask um, uh, actually Melina to explain to you how to queue up for questions. If for some reason you don't get to ask a question or think of a question after the call, we will be sure to have you just call us at 1-800-813-HOPE. And, of course, our staff are here to answer your questions. But let's see how many questions we can take um, at this time. So, Melina, if you could bring all of our speakers on board and if you could explain to the audience how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Our first question comes from Frances L. Hi. I have a question for Dr. Uh, Peterson. Uh, Dr. Peterson, you mentioned the um, pain medication, power firmer, or something like that. How do you spell the word, please? Well, thank you for the question, uh, Francis. Uh, Dr. Peterson? Yes, thank you, Francis and Carolyn. Palafermin is the generic name of the drug. Its spelling is P-A-L-I-F-E-R-M-I-N. And again, it's approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration for some patients with hematologic malignancies, blood cancers, undergoing high-dose chemotherapy in preparation for a stem cell transplant. So its, its approval is directed to that type of cancer patient. Excellent. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Adeline J. Hi. I'm Dr. Hi. Mesner. Again, thank you for a wonderful program and a wonderful panel. I have two questions. Is there a correlation between chemo and radiation treatment in tooth cavity? And also, since I've been exposed to chemo and radiation and now undergoing Herceptin and steroid treatment, is there any precautions I could take when I go to the dentist? Okay, so those are excellent questions. Um, I'm going to have, let's see, Dr. Peterson, do you want to address them? And um, then I may have Dr. Prinzi add to it as well. Dr. Yes, thank Dr. you. Peterson. Thank you, Adeline. Very definitely, head and neck radiation for head and neck cancer can very much increase the risk for tooth cavities. There's a number of reasons for that. I won't take the time to go into it. And not all head and neck radiation will increase that risk in a substantial way. So if if you're about to receive head and neck radiation, this is a very important discussion with your cancer team and your dental team. Where will the radiation be given? How might it affect my mouth? How might it affect my teeth? And there's some very effective preventive approaches we can take if we have all those answers together. As far as Herceptin and steroid and precautions in the dental office, there's that's actually a very complex question, a very good question. Certainly with steroid use, depending on the dosing of the steroid, how long one's been on the steroid, 
and the type of dental procedure that's going to be performed, there may well need to be an alteration in the steroid dosing, at least for a couple of days. But I'm going to really keep it at that general level. Again, encourage you to talk to your dentist and your cancer team about that. And perhaps Dr. LaPrenzi could, could uh, contribute as well. Thank you, Dr. LaPrenzi. Yeah, with, with regard to the, the Herceptin or Trastuzumab, a drug oftentimes used for breast cancer and sometimes for a few other cancers, uh, to my knowledge, there's never been anything that, uh, that suggests that it causes more trouble with, with a dental uh, condition or with mucositis. Um, Adeline, thank you for those excellent questions, and we encourage you to take this information back to your treating healthcare team so that they can tailor a plan for you so that you can feel most um, comfortable and really have the best, um, you know, least, least um, effect on your, um, in terms of any concerns you have in terms of your um, mouth and, and all mouth sores or anything like that. So thank you. Excellent question. Our next question. Our next question comes from Trina E., Hi. Um, I had a question about um, coldness. I mean, I can't eat anything cold, not even a piece of fruit, without having a lot of pain with my, with my teeth. There's something excellent. I can do. Okay, that's an excellent question, Trina. Um, I'm going to, Dr. Peterson, I'm going to ask you to address that, the, the kind of sensitivity to cold and, and not eating, being able to eat anything that's cold that Trina's experiencing. Yeah, there can be a number of reasons for what we call a cold sensitivity or a thermal sensitivity. It may have nothing to do with the cancer treatment. It could be that root surfaces of the tooth that are normally covered by the gums, uh, because the gums have now shrunk away a little bit, have exposed those root surfaces, and they tend to be a little more sensitive to not only cold but also to hot. Also, if a patient has cavities, not very small cavities, but moderate to even larger cavities, those can be very sensitive to cold. So a careful dental exam and a preceded by a careful dental history will often help the, the dental team decide what may be the causes for the, the cold sensitivity. Sometimes chemotherapy can heighten the sensitivity of teeth. It's not a common problem, but it has been reported in the literature. But that would be more of a transient effect only during and maybe a few weeks after the chemotherapy ends. It shouldn't be lasting for months and years after the chemotherapy ends. So again, I think talking this over with your dental and medical team would be a very, very good next step. Excellent. And Dr. Lopenzi, do you want to add anything in terms of are there any particular things, uh, one, other things to think about? Not, not particularly with uh, ten cold teeth. I might mention that one of the chemotherapy drugs that we do give at times, uh, oxaliplatin, uh, is similar to cisplatin. Uh, when people get that, they can have uh, a, a trouble with uh, tolerating cold things on their hands or in their mouth, can't drink cold liquids uh, because of a neuropathy sort of problem. But that's a different different thing than, than this mucositis. Mm-hmm. Okay. That might be so. So, Trina, you definitely want to speak to your healthcare team to see what medicine, what your, what chemotherapy agents you're taking, and and what how they can help you as well. So, hope this is helpful to you. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Marianne P. Um, do you recommend glutamine-containing beverages to treat mucositis or to prevent it? Okay. I might. Thank you for that question. Yes. 
I can I can okay. try to address that. Okay. Um, and and there has been um, there has been some information in the past suggesting that glutamine might be helpful in decreasing mucositis. Um, we actually did a placebo-controlled trial uh, many years ago looking at that, and we were unable to confirm that there was benefit uh, for giving glutamine in that situation. But the fact that, that you mentioned it does not surprise me because of a couple of pilot-type trials which suggested that there was some benefit, but I don't believe that there is. Excellent. Okay. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Kelly W. Hi, my question was was pretty much the same, and I was about the uh, glutamine, and I was wondering if Melinda had any experience with that for her patients. I know she spoke very highly of you know the different modified texture of foods and the fortified foods, but wondered about the oral glutamine as well. I currently don't um, see patients using the glutamine. Um, we don't discourage it uh, if patients uh, would like to try it, um, but I, we don't use it in our practice in radiation. Now, it is used, I think, uh, in other settings in, in our cancer city, center, but not in radiation. Okay, excellent. Um, and um, Dr. Peterson, do you want to add anything as well? I'll just add that there is research that has reported some benefit in some cancer patients undergoing high-dose chemotherapy if the glutamine is given in a targeted drug delivery way to the mouth. In other words, not just swallowing a pill with L-glutamine or having an intravenous injection or having it through the diet. But as Dr. Laprinzi and, and Ms. Blivens also suggest, it's not a uniform practice, and there really is an opportunity for further research here. And, you know, I'm going to ask just Glenn to comment because I know that many people participate in our support groups, and I think that you know eating is a social activity, and when one starts to have mouth pain and discomfort, it it makes it sometimes these the social interactions that often do involve food can be very difficult for people. And I just wondered if you just wanted to comment on that and just the experiences from the people in the support groups that you're running and and how they um, often um, how they might approach that. Well, I know sometimes in the support groups, um, you know, with regard to mouth pain, um, you know, it, it, as running when running a support group, particularly if it's a face-to-face, -face, you know, it's sometimes it's helpful to kind of know what foods to use and what type of mouth sores and what type of mouth pains people are experiencing so that if you have, are having food, um, you know, there will be something that, everyone can partake in uh, so that people, you know, won't feel isolated um, because what happens a lot of times if, you know, a lot of social activities revolve around food and if people can't socialize by eating, uh, they're not going to come to the group, you know, they're going to withdraw and, and that would re increase feelings of isolation um, and, you know, people will experience themselves alone. So it can be helpful at times to kind of know your audience, so to speak, and if you're going to have food, you know, just try to have something that will be there for everybody. That's such a good point. So if you're inviting someone over and the, and or a caregiver or even yourself, letting people know the person themselves might let someone know that I can they can eat soft foods or what will they be, so that you can feel that you can still participate in, in social and be actively social during that time um, in, with the food restrictions. That's they're really important if there are food restrictions. 
Um, and Melinda, do you want to comment on that as well? Um, yes, I think we talk to the families and everything about how they can help the patient um, find eat at mealtime with the rest of the family, or if they so desire, they do not have to come to the dinner table because sometimes there is this pressure and they do feel left out. And so we tell them that it's all right if they don't go to the table. And, and sometimes that is a big relief uh, that they do not have to be put into an environment that makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I, I just like to add a little bit. I mean, I think that's where, you know, cancer care, you know, comes in because you can speak to a social worker. Um, you know, it, it, the work that we do doesn't surround only, you know, medical treatment, uh, your cancer diagnosis, but it does, we do address, you know, the side effects and everything else. So, I mean, if you don't know how to talk to your family or if you don't know how to talk to your friends about what you're experiencing, we can work with you. You know, we can help you communicate your concerns and we can help you communicate your feelings and perhaps, you know, help you uh, bridge that gap. Thank you. Um, our next question, please. Our next question comes from Ray S. Hi. My question has to do, I'm currently on chemo with oxaliplatin and Usually the same day I get an infusion, I get what is not a mouth sore, but is just um, almost like a, a neuropathy in my mouth and throat on the first bite of food, and then and then it sort of goes away. But it's just that first bite of food um, just almost like seizes up my throat and mouth lining. Just wondering what that might be and if there's anything to um, mitigate it. Oh, excellent question, Ray. And I'm going to ask Dr. Laprinzi to address that since you'd mentioned that before, Dr. Laprinzi, in terms of oxyplatinum. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yes, yes. That, that is uh, not an uncommon thing. And there's some people who can get, uh, again, cold sensitivity, especially drinking cold liquids or even chewing, uh, cramping sort of thing, which is what sounds like you're talking about. Uh, it usually is relatively self-limited and only a happens for a few days after each dose of chemotherapy and then gets away, goes away. Um, what you describe as, as initially the problem and going away doesn't surprise me a lot uh, for that. Um, at this point in time, there's nothing proven to be beneficial in that situation. Um, and it, the incidents, the people who get that problem with these acute troubles from oxaliplatinum, which we think are neuropathy or nerve uh, injury problems, uh, are not related to the other sorts of neuropathy that patients get with oxaliplatinum, that is uh, burning, tingling, numbness in their fingers and in their hands, fingers, toes, feet, um, which generally gets worse with each dose of chemotherapy and can last for months or even years afterwards. Um, so there's, but there's no, nothing that's been proven to be beneficial for decreasing that. People have looked at intravenous calcium and magnesium infusions. Those seem to decrease the peripheral neuropathy in the hands and the feet that people get long-term, but don't seem to improve the acute problems that people have. There's one trial that looked at an antidepressant called venlafaxine or Effexor, um, which just reported that 
that there were people who seemed to benefit from that. Um, it, that study needs to be repeated. We're working toward, toward that issue to try to see if we can try to confirm that uh, preliminary finding. Yeah, this is such an important area, and I have to say that all of our um, participants today have asked really such great questions, really amazing, um, really wonderful questions. I do have a question from one of our online participants, someone who actually is in the midst of chemotherapy treatment, um, and is going to is has had a dental problem that may require a root canal, and the question is, is that something that they can do, and and what would be all the things that they should put in place to take care of that? And I'm, I'm going to ask Dr. Peterson if you would address that in a general way, since we don't have all the details, but just in a general way, um, in the midst of treatment, how um, what are some things that people might want to put in place to um, uh, address uh, address this? Thank you, Carolyn. A root canal treatment is a process by which we open up a part of the tooth so that we can gain access to the, the what we call the vital part, the alive part of the tooth in the center. And it's because of the nerves and blood supply that are contained in that vital part of the, of the center of the tooth that the pain sensation is experienced. So by removing the vital tissue, the pain symptom can be relieved. There are a number of reasons why people need root canals. It could be an infection of the tooth, but not necessarily. A root canal treatment is much more conservative. In other words, it causes much less bleeding, much more injury to tissues than, say, taking out the tooth, extracting the tooth. So considerations that I would ask our uh, online listener to consider with the dentist and the cancer team is how low are my white blood cell counts now? How low will they be over the next week to 10 days? And then once that's in place as a good starting point, what's the reason for the tooth pain? Is it an infection? Is it because of trauma to the tooth? Is it a fractured tooth? What are the reasons for the root canal being needed. If the white count is low, it might be best to hold off on the root canal treatment per se, but rather handle the pain with some pain medications. If an infection is present, use antibiotics. This would be for a few days until the white blood cells return to a, a safe level. But again, there's so many reasons for needing a root canal and chemotherapy can affect the timing of this root canal in so many ways. I think looking at the cause of the pain, looking at the possibility of infection, looking at the white blood cell count and other aspects related to chemotherapy, discussing that with the cancer team would be a very appropriate next step. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, thanks. Um, our next question, please. Our next question comes from Eleanor R. Yes, I missed the very first part of the um, conference, so I apologize. But is there anything to do to prevent the mucositis? Okay, well, Eleanor, thank you. And it's always good to have that um, reviewed for everybody. So thank you. I'm going to ask um, uh, Dr. Um, Lapinze and Dr. Peterson to address that question. I think it's a nice, a good question to, to have asked here. Dr. Lapinze? So uh, there, so there's two things in, in that we've been talking about, and in my mind I try to keep them separate. And one is treating 
the mouth pain and all, and the other is prevention. And this last question was about prevention. So uh, one way to prevent it is to not to give the chemotherapy or radiation, but we won't want to do that because we're trying to get the benefit of it. Uh, two, I think that there are things with – there's not proof, but there's pretty good evidence that if you keep your mouth – uh, in good care, you brush your teeth, you floss, uh, and your dental condition is good, that you have less trouble with mucositis, with radiation, or with chemotherapy. So that's one easy thing to do. Sometimes uh, with early irritation with using salt and baking soda in water uh, solutions can help, again, by moisture, which Dr. Peterson talked about. Um, when given some drugs like 5-fluorouracil intravenously as a bolus drug where they give it all at once as opposed to in an IV that, that drips in over three or four days, uh, you can use what we call oral cryotherapy. You put, in cold, put cold ice chips in the mouth to decrease the amount of 5-FU that gets to the, blood, to the mouth at that particular time. Uh, Dr. Peterson also mentioned the palifermin in a specific situation with high-dose chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant, in a bone marrow transplant chemotherapy regimen that caused a lot of mucositis, that there was some decrease uh, there. Those are the main things I can think of at this time. There have been a lot of other things that have been tried, such as glutamine and and uh, um, and uh, other uh, sucking on antibiotics and that sort of stuff to see if it would decrease uh, mucositis. Uh, alo, uh, uh, an aloe, aloe vera solution, uh, but it, it does not. Uh, those things have not been shown to be beneficial. Doug. Yeah, I would just. Add to that excellent overview the idea of in head and neck cancer treatment per se with head and neck radiation. Dr. Laprinzi is exactly right. We don't want to withhold the cancer therapy, but one option we do have is to shape the way that radiation is given to try and protect more of the normal lining tissues of the mouth. You may have heard of intensity modulated radiation therapy and some of the other more newer technologies that are coming on board that reduce the field of radiation. It's interesting, however, most of the studies haven't shown a substantial reduction in oral mucositis overall. It's not quite as simple as that, but there is a lot of research being done both in the laboratory and clinically to see how we can protect normal tissue and maximize the cancer cure rate. The other point I'd make is that because the causes, the basic causes of oral mucositis can be very complex, many different reasons in the tissue that patients develop mucositis, it's it's unlikely that any one drug, whether it's palifermin or glutamine or some cryotherapy, any of the products that we've been talking about, will by themselves in all patients prevent oral mucositis. That, that doesn't seem reasonable. But what does seem reasonable, again, with more research, is if new drugs and approaches can be developed over the next few years so that for each patient there can be a customized, personalized approach with these different products that's where the field is heading, and it's a very exciting direction. That is very exciting. That is actually, that's incredible what you've just said in terms of just the ability to personalize medicine. And do you actually want to say a bit about that? Because that will really, has really begun to revolutionize the way um, treatment is delivered. Dr. Lepinti, do you want to comment on that as well? So we are, are, are 
attempting to try to find out which drugs would be best for individual patients. Uh, and ways of trying to do that is looking at tumor characteristics of a person a person's cancer to determine if there are if they will be particularly sensitive to one drug or another one and therefore you can give the drug that's that they're going to be most sensitive to for that um, we just test some things like breast cancer cells for her two new and that helps us think whether or not trastuzumab or herceptin herceptin being the brand name of that drug it's nice because it fits with this her two new receptor uh, that that medication can be helpful um, there are other uh, uh, ways that we can try to do personalized medicine and that is to determine better how well a person is going to metabolize a drug so if we give a drug and then it gets turned by the body into something else sometimes it gets turned into a more active drug or more commonly it turns into an inactive drug so it doesn't have effect and if we can understand the different enzymes a person has, how many the, uh, their genetic makeup, their chromosomes tell to, or genes tell to, uh, to uh, make these enzymes versus not, it varies a lot between all of us. Then we can help uh, give the better dose of the medication so that the person gets the ideal dose that gives appropriate anti-cancer therapy without too much toxicity to other normal tissues. So those are the, the ways I think of a personalized medicine. It, it's, it's not a panacea. A panacea means a cure-all for everybody at this point in time, but there's something that we are working toward and we're, we're, making, we're making steps in that direction. I want to thank you. This has been a remarkable call. I, I want to thank um, all of our speakers, just really outstanding. And I have to say that this is actually the first time that we've really offered a program specifically on this particular topic. We've often um, uh, included this topic in other programs we've done, but we've never had a whole hour on this topic. And it's definitely one that we're going to want to do again. It's it's just been so, so important. Our speakers are terrific, and all of you have asked um, you know, such really, uh, really terrific uh, questions as well. Um, I, I do want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour education program and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of a program like this. I also want to thank all of you who queued up and asked such really great questions because your questions really enhance the call. You know, your questions really enable our speakers to kind of further elaborate on points um, that are so important to cover. And I want to thank all of you who have been listening as well. However, um, although the program is going to end soon, it does not mean that our services from Cancer Care will be ending for you. You can access those services are endless, and you can access those services by calling our 1-800-813-HOPE line. And we have actually um, over 60 masses level trained oncology social workers who are here to answer your questions. Um, and, to, and to deal with any concerns you may have. We um, offer a number of different services from practical to financial assistance. We offer um, an opportunity to talk with our, our social workers, um, to you know, talk with them one-on-one on, -one, on the telephone or online. We also offer support groups, both, as, as Glenn had mentioned, on the telephone or online, and we offer them both to people living with cancer as well as to caregivers. And um, we offer, we have lots of materials, booklets and fact sheets, and of course we offer many of these connect workshops that are available for you to listen to. We often offer quite a few per month so that you can often find a topic of interest um, to participate in. But most importantly, all the services are free. Um, we are here to help you, 
And I don't want anyone to feel at the conclusion of this program that you're alone. I want you to know that you're part of a community of support and that whatever your question or concern is, we really, our staff, care about addressing that question or concern. Um, Sometimes what seems like you're the only person dealing with it, we can help you to kind of feel like we can get get you some help with it. So I want to thank you all for participating today. Um, I do want to remind you all to, of course, send in the evaluation forms. We really appreciate your feedback. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Have a wonderful day.